Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt is sponsored by the Marquardt Law Firm and does not attempt to solve your individual legal problems upon the basis of information contained herein. Instead, contact an attorney to discuss the specific facts and circumstances of your unique situation. The views and opinions of this program do not reflect the views of the Salem Media Group. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question, veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardtlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas. And I'm your host, Todd Marquardt. Decisions about your future can be difficult, but at Falcon Bank, the trust department can make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning and administration of trust to investment management, including real estate and mineral management, Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. Well, it's great that Falcon Bank is being our sponsor, and Marquardt Law Firm also sponsors the show. Yes, we focus on business and (laughs) estate law. And today's episode is recorded, so that's why you're not seeing us on Facebook live stream or being able to call in today, but... Aside from that, what is the mission of Talk Law Radio, Mr. Marquardt? The mission of Talk Law Radio is to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, And, because laws are ever-changing, nothing provided herein should be used as a substitute for the advice of competent legal counsel. Contact an attorney like Markport Law Firm, which sponsors the show. Have an initial consultation to find out if Markport Law Firm or any other attorney is the right law firm for you. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with a prayer. Of course. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for making mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, or failing to do your will. Please help Jenny Funk, Christiana, Brittany Lastition, and me give good information to the listeners today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what's the topic for today, Mr. Marquardt? We have two new guests with us. Well, actually, returning guests Yeah, both of them are returning (laughs) guests. So today, uh, Jenny Funk is going to talk to us about uh, the Alzheimer's Association's new mission and vision and also tell us about an event that's coming up next Saturday. And Brittany Elastician is going to tell us about veterans' benefits, specifically the cash money that can a veteran can receive every month if they happen to have a service-connected disability. So with that being said, Jenny, tell Hi. us what you've been up to since we last spoke. Oh my goodness, busy, super busy as always. Um, I would say most definitely trying to reach more families who are impacted by Alzheimer's and dementia for sure. And at a as a national nonprofit organization, we've had some some changes in that for years we've had a guideline of a mission statement and a vision statement. And through the work of staff from chapters all across the country and board of directors and our national board of directors, with the future and the hope that's coming with Alzheimer's disease, um, I think the organization felt overall that we needed an update and to really review and make sure that. When we're doing our work every day and we're recruiting volunteers, that our mission and our vision reflect some changes. So for one thing, our vision statement forever, for as long as the organization has been involved, has been um, 
our vision is a world without Alzheimer's. But now it's a vision, uh, our vision is a world without Alzheimer's and all other dementia. Because we get asked that so often. Well, you know, my loved one has uh, Lewy body dementia or frontotemporal or um, vascular or Parkinson's. There's so many different types of dementia. So we wanted to, we, I say we, the, the entire organization went through this, this change. And I haven't even memorized our new mission statement. It's that new. But again, it's about looking towards the future that we're still going to be doing programs. We're still going to be doing fundraising. We're still going to fund. Um, we're the largest nonprofit funder of research in the world. We have uh, funding for um, research trials in 30 different countries right now, which is just incredible. Um, still going to do as much programs as we've always done. But we researchers are very hopeful in that there are things coming that as an organization we need to be prepared for. What happens when the first treatment, true actual treatment to treat Alzheimer's disease is discovered? Um, how is that going to change our future and the environment and how we get that information out to families, etc.? For people who still are not even necessarily aware of the Alzheimer's Association and all the research that is being done. So, um, so that's kind of leading to also we've been working a lot with our volunteer committee to uh, plan our annual conference on Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, all other dementias. Slow down. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> so that's it, that's if, a lot. If they wanted to be able to get in touch with this information, the website is still ALZ, like zebra, dot org. That's correct, right? Yes. O-R-G, like ghost? Yes. O-R-G dot org. Okay. Sure. So yes. that's A-L-Z like zebra, O-R-G like ghost, A-L-Z dot org. Does your chapter have its own slash? We do. If you just do slash San Antonio, all one okay. word, um, that will take you directly to our, our chapter website. And that... That includes 47 counties. We don't just serve San Antonio and Bear County. We go all the way to Brownsville. So we have a large area that we serve. And But in San Antonio, we're very blessed. We have an annual conference, and we have local speakers, and we're bringing in our vice president of um, scientific engagement to be our keynote speaker, and he's really going to be talking about the latest in Alzheimer's and dementia research and um, diversity, ethnicity, all, all kinds of different things. So we're really excited. And it's on Saturday, March 14th. So it's right around the corner. Where? Norris Conference Center. Okay. Yes, which is right next to um, Alamo Draft House Movie Theater mm -hmm. and what used to be Sears, right on 410 on the Access Road. I believe that's on the right, the left-hand side of the Alamo Draft House, right? Right before the stairs? Yes, when you're looking at it. And it's, I guess that would be considered inside, right just inside Loop 410. Yeah, I've been to that building. I've been to some meetings for the North Chamber of Commerce. And exactly. uh, I was confused because Norris Conference Center used to be somewhere else. It did. When we have had a lot of um, asks about that as well, calls and things, because it, I don't even want to say where it used to be. But right. Just say, for just last go to years. the theater, right? <laughs> exactly. We go to Alamo Drafthouse Movie Theater. It's right there. There will be plenty of parking. There's also a, a garage with levels that are underneath that most people don't know about. Mm -hmm. We will have volunteers that will help um, direct traffic. And it's going to be from 8 until 3. So... We've changed it to a weekend. We've also made it a little bit shorter. We have free respite. It's free, by the way. It's free for the general public, for caregivers, for families. We have free respite available in case someone wants to bring what their loved mean? one. Um, if someone wants to really wants to gain this this um, education as well as all the resources that we will have there, they can come. But if they can't leave their loved one at home, we have um, professional staff that are volunteering. I guess they're volunteering their time to be in a, a room with individuals living with dementia, so that their loved ones can join in the conference and attend the conference. So they will be taken care of for the day while we're doing all the. If you're a caregiver. And you're taking care of somebody, and that's your responsibility for that Saturday, mm -hmm. but you still want to go, you can. Exactly. Exactly. And we're very, we're, we're very blessed. Um, Memory Care of Westover Hills is donating breakfast, and they're also donating the respite care and for the day. And you can Amazing. eat. 
Yeah. Yes, we have a lot of food, and we'll also have a what we would call a brain-healthy lunch from Papulis. So, um, and we've got lots of, um, I guess you could say, sponsors who are helping us who will have exhibit tables there. So lots of resources available at the event as well. Uh, we do have CEUs, continuing education credits, for social workers and for nurses, and those are $50 for the day. And it's 4.5 CEUs. If you want to get your credit, you have to pay a fee. Yes. For everyone else who comes, as long as you're not getting any kind of credit for your um, professional license, it's it's free. Okay. Free, free. So if you're tuning in right now, this is Talk Law Radio with Todd Marcor, and we're speaking with Ginny Funk of the Alzheimer's Organization, helping us learn about this new event coming just around the corner. That's on March 14th, just next Saturday, right? It is. It is. And then the night before, if I can just throw in, we are also having, since Dr. Hill is coming to be our keynote, we're going to have him do a, a kind of like a town hall forum the night before at Bethel AME Church. Um, it's going to be from 5 to 7 on, yes, that is Friday the 13th. So, um, But they'll be in a church. So exactly. it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we're so excited to have the AME Church um, organization has partnered with the Alzheimer's Association at a national level. So um, we're really one of the first chapters in the country to really jump on that partnership and start working together so that we can start doing education and support groups and get support out however we can. Can you say something else about Dr. Hill? Sorry, I'm talking so fast. Um, So Carl Hill, he actually spent years working at the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and he most definitely has um, done a lot of work in diversity in looking at how different diseases affect different um, areas of the country, different individuals. And so he's he's coming really to give us the latest and greatest on the research front, um, what studies are happening, what's happening with funding, which is allowing so much more research than has ever been able to be done in the world of Alzheimer's, and some hopeful things on the horizon. So we're 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 so excited and and I do want to also just add we are aware of you know we're in an interesting time right now where we are being careful so we will you know we'll have hand sanitizer we'll we want to be really careful because we know this will be a group meeting mm-hmm. we hope to have several hundred people who join us at this conference um but we also know we will have it videoed so if someone cannot um we they'll still be able to access information. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I yeah. was actually yeah. just about to ask that if there was going to be hand sanitizer. You yes. said it's going to be videoed. How do they access that through the Alzheimer's organization or is there a YouTube channel? So I would say the best thing is, is just go to either call us at 1-800-272-3900. That's our, our number that will get you to the our local office here in San Antonio or alz.org slash San Antonio. We'll have it available. It'll take a little while because the gentleman who is uh, taping it, he likes to make it all professional and everything, but it will be available afterwards. All right. Terrific. Well, we will have to take a quick break. This is Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. We'll be right back. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place. Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marcourt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we just got finished interviewing Miss Ginny Funk of the Alzheimer's Organization. There is going to be an event available next Saturday, March 14th, and you must register. If you visit their website, tinyurl.com slash 2020SA Summit and register for their Alzheimer's event that is on March 14th. Yeah, you can register online if you want to, if you like to use the Internet. If you don't like to use the Internet, well, you could just stop on by 
their office and uh, you can find their address <laughs> online. <laughs> Let's see if the flyer has their address. Their flyer fortunately has a phone number that if you dial two one zero eight two two six four four nine, that's two one zero eight two two six four four nine. If you want to attend the Alzheimer's event at the Norris Conference Center next Saturday, March fourteenth. But back to our show, Mr. Marquardt, we're down to two more guests. You know what I noticed about she was talking about Alzheimer's and other dementias. And other dementias. That's going to be a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah. One of the dementias or one of the conditions that includes dementia-like symptoms is Parkinson's. And I have known uh, at least one or two veterans of military service who had Parkinson's and I... I'm wondering if that was something that could be considered a service-connected disability. Do you know the answer to that, Brittany? I, I do. I've worked with many veterans who unfortunately suffer from Parkinson's disease, and it uh, is now one of the conditions that the VA and the laws that regulate the VA disability benefits says is something that is actually presumptively service-connected. So that means that if a veteran developed Parkinson's disease, and we're able to tie that the, the condition occurring initially, you know, either during their military service or for some period of time thereafter, we can go ahead and apply for benefits for them. And typically, in theory, it should be a relatively easy case um, for them to get service connected for that specific condition, as well as a list of others that are, again, they're legally presumed to be connected to that military service that the veteran I thought so. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you knew the answer. So uh, just remind everyone what your experience is with working with service-connected veterans. Sure. So while I was in law school, I was working full-time as a manager with a firm in uh, Florida, and we handled at that firm primarily disability cases. And so while I was in law school um, and for a couple years leading up to that point, actually, I was working on VA disability cases exclusively. And then as soon as I graduated, I was working on those at the highest level of appeals, which a veteran's case can go to up at the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. So I've handled cases with the regional office. Office, have handled cases before the Board of Veterans' Appeals, as well as uh, with the Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Wow. Awesome. Yep. You know what you're it's talking very, about. Very interesting it, and, and rewarding, of course, to help these veterans who wait for years and years sometimes for their benefits. And that's one of the pitfalls if they wait too long, right? Right. So I've actually got a little list of five things that we can discuss um, that are, I think, key for veterans or anybody who is going through this process with them because it's one that just it takes so long um, and during the course of this process it's disheartening as you can imagine because you apply for the benefits that you're entitled to because you come out of the military less than you went in right Mm -hmm. something happened either a specific incident an injury maybe even you got sick and Mm -hmm. have long-term results you know um, from that illness perhaps it could be anything that happened during military service and left you in a worse physical or mental condition than you were when you entered. And for that, you qualify for disability benefits from the VA. So the number one thing, Todd, that I think veterans should be aware of is that they they can't let VA win. They can't let VA win by denying them into submission. When an unfavorable decision is received by a veteran, it really needs to be appealed and not ignored. I've seen that happen many, many times. And what happens if that decision is ignored they're walking away from money on the table, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what happens in the VA claims process, just to kind of briefly go into that, if we submit an application and VA takes their, right now I think the average is 82 and a half days, but remember that's business days, right? not federal holidays. <laughs> so that, that three months quickly, you know, expands to look more like four, five, six before we actually see a decision. When you see a decision, it could there's a, a, an option, a wide variety of actions that the VA can take. Um, but of course, one of the first things that most veterans experience is a denial or less than a full grant of benefits. And then because it's disheartening to receive that and the VA process is complicated, those decisions unfortunately go unappealed. And so then uh, perhaps a few years will go by and the veteran will perhaps feel a little frustrated and say, well, I need to try again. And then he'll submit a new application. Well, during the couple years that have elapsed, because that appeal wasn't kept active, those benefits for the past couple years are lost. Whereas if we keep that claim stream going, we appeal, we're going to get money back to the date of the initial application. So that's one thing that people need to be aware of so that we don't walk away from money that's on the table. Yeah, and it's not just veterans who need to remember this because 
they might have Parkinson's or some other condition where they're not able to keep up with the paperwork that comes in. So we as family members and friends Mm -hmm. can keep an eye on this kind of thing and say, hey, where's that paperwork? Have you looked at it? Did you follow up with it? Mm -hmm. Right. We have a handful of clients who have a similar situation right now. And um, I'm usually either dealing with a spouse or perhaps an adult child who's making sure that things keep moving on their case as they should. So if you're tuning in right now, this is Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. We're interviewing now Brittany Lastician to understand the five important things of preparing to take on the VA Service Connected Mm -hmm. Disabilities application. I want to back up just a bit uh, to give Mm -hmm. some background, let everybody know exactly what we're talking about because there's so many VA programs. Uh, We're not talking about education. We're not talking about funerals. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about medicine that can be received. We're just talking about cash money. Yep. And I also wanted to take this time and just say, if you're a veteran, thank you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for your service. Hope everybody you see uh, tells you that. Absolutely. So what are the requirements, again, for a veteran in order to put in the request for a service-connected disability? Yeah, what disability? does it mean to be service-connected disabled? So as long as the veteran served for a minimum of 90 days of active duty, um, or even in some situations, if you were activated and you were uh, a reservist, and you were activated and you were injured during that period of activation, even if it was just for training, uh, and you were injured, if during that course of your military service, right, whatever it looked like, um, you had some kind of incident or injury and it left you with a disability, then that would qualify you for service-connected disability. Even if perhaps you went into the military and let's say, let's talk about knees for an example. That's a pretty easy example. If you had blown out your knee maybe one time before you went into the service, but otherwise it had repair, you know, you had recovered fine. It was, it, it didn't have any impairments. Uh, and then you had another injury during the course of your military service, and now your knee is forever impaired in some way, shape, or form. Um, that's an aggravation of a pre-existing condition. So that's another option for us to go ahead and obtain service connection disability because, again, even though you had a pre-existing condition of some type, you came out of the military worse than you went in. So that in and of itself qualifies for service connection disability. Now, it qualifies on paper, but getting the VA to recognize it and then award that veteran the benefits is sometimes a different story. And so that hurdle of getting the service connection established and acknowledged by VA is always the big hurdle in these cases. Yeah, the the argument where you explain to the VA how what they're going through today is connected to something that happened way back when. Right. It's it's very difficult, but I'll tell you when it's easy. It's easy when there's a history of medical treatment. Because logically, if we think about it, the, the basis, to step back briefly, the basis of the disability benefit is to pay veterans for a lost work opportunity. You know, let's Mm -hmm. uh, going back to the knees, maybe now you can't do security any longer, for example, and that's what your history was in before you entered the military. Um, You've lost work opportunity. So that's what that disability benefit is intended for. So again, going back to the medical treatment now, if it's something that's interfering with your ability to work, you're probably going to go see a doctor about it because it's interfering with your life. So if it's bad enough in theory, you know, for it to impair your ability to work, you're likely to go ahead and seek medical treatment. There are arguments because there's situations out there where maybe it was not economical, the veteran couldn't afford it, wasn't entitled to health care. There's a whole host of issues. So I don't want people to think, oh, I didn't receive treatment for a year, so I won't be able to get qualified. That's not the case. But like I said, it's easier. Just talk to somebody. Yep. Get started. And there's a whole lot of other conditions, not just uh, what happens when you jump out of airplanes. (laughs) But I've met lots of family members and veterans who served in during Vietnam who are suffering health conditions like heart disease and diabetes, who also can be uh, can apply based on presumptive conditions. Sure. There's a, like I said, there's a list of conditions um, that have finally been acknowledged. It was a long, hard legal battle, but finally they have been acknowledged and they are on the presumptive list. So if there was Agent Orange exposure, and just early this year it was expanded. So if you had Agent Orange exposure either with boots on the ground or you were a Blue Water Navy vet, um, then you can go ahead and 
usually make the most of that presumptive service connection, that, that kind of favor that's there for you in the law. We can make the most of that. And there, I, I've heard about some veterans that were upset about the way uh, the U.S. military treated them way back when or the mm-hmm. way the VA treated them. And so they didn't want to apply. They didn't right. want to be involved mm-hmm. or entangled in the government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't apply. Well, if they're still suffering mm-hmm. and you're a loved one, you're a family member, you're a caretaker, maybe you can still apply. Sure. Yep. It's not too late. There's not a uh, you know, a statute of limitations on these claims or any other deadline um, that really applies. You can apply at any time, even because it's not uncommon, certainly, especially if, you know, if you think through the scenario where a veteran gave, came out younger and still was able to work. Um, it's just not something that they had the mentality to go seek. And, and now that they're living longer with disabilities, mm-hmm. they might need that extra income. Right. Well, I think we're going to need a little bit more information about this when we come back from this long break. So don't change that channel. We will be returning back here on Talk Law Radio with Todd Marcourt. We're not going to be taking calls, but we still have valuable information that you should stay tuned for. We'll be right back. Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt is sponsored by the Marquardt Law Firm and does not attempt to solve your individual legal problems upon the basis of information contained herein. Instead, contact an attorney to discuss the specific facts and circumstances of your unique situation. The views and opinions of this program do not reflect the views of the Salem Media Group. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we're here with Miss Brittany Lastician. And earlier in the show, if you missed it, we interviewed Miss Ginny Funk of the Alzheimer's Organization, now also known for Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. They're having a special event that you can register for and attend on next Saturday, March 14th, visiting alz.org slash San Antonio or call them at 210-822-6449. Now, back to our current moment. <laughs> we were talking to Ms. Lastician about service-connected disability. I was wondering, can you help us understand the difference between service-connected disability income and non-service pension? Sure. So there's a whole host of variety. Uh, there's a whole variety of benefits, like Todd had mentioned before, that the VA offers. One of them that we've been talking about so far is the service-connected disability compensation. Um, the other that we work with that is a pension-based income is the aid and attendance. So just briefly, that one, it being a pension-based income, there's a qualification criteria for income and resources, right? So how much income and assets, financial assets, does a veteran or a surviving spouse have? That's looked at before qualification is determined. So that is an initial criteria. For service-connected disability compensation, it doesn't matter how much money you already have. That is not a pension-based claim. It's just an entitlement because of the disability that the veteran has suffered from. So okay, that let me break that down. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the service-connected compensation is based on what happened to you way back when is still mm-hmm. causing you problems today. Right. The non-service-connected pension, aid and attendance, is also based on you having low income and low assets. Correct. And high unreimbursed medical expenses. Yes. Can we also establish who qualifies to apply for those benefits? Because I hear often that Marcor Law Firm is able to help with aid and attendance for veteran spouses. Yes, uh, spouses can qualify for uh, the pension, the aid in attendance. They can also qualify for uh, some uh, after a veteran has passed away and was receiving service-connected disability compensation. Right. right? So if the veteran was receiving uh, at least a 30% service-connected disability and has left a surviving spouse or an adult disabled child or a child under the age of 18, um, then those are all eligible parties for what's called a uh, disability indemnity compensation. And so that is a compensation benefit program out there, again, just for those limited surviving family members that a veteran might leave behind. So if the veterans pass away and left, again, a surviving spouse, a disabled adult child, or a child under the age of 18, um, and actually in some cases a child who's still in college, I believe up to age 22, um, those are eligible 
Individuals for the Disability Indemnity Compensation. So that's cash money that cash you money. or your loved one can get yep. if you qualify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this up. Uh, how can they get qualified? I tell people you can go to the VA. Mm-hmm. You can go to a service organization mm-hmm. yep. um, like the VFW or uh, the Texas Veterans Commission. Mm-hmm. Bear County has yep. an office. Uh, but my brother, he likes the VFW. Do you know why? No. Why is that? Because you can drink beer and work on your <laughs> application know. at the same time. Does it come with peanuts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a stressful process, so that makes sense. But. Yeah. So there's also attorneys. Right. Will you explain how accreditation works? Sure. So there are attorneys. There's also non-attorney reps, but um, an attorney – can be specifically accredited by the VA, and it in fact has to be accredited by the VA in order to represent a veteran or a family member for any VA benefits. Um, and so, of course, um, we're both VA accredited attorneys, and we regularly represent veterans before the VA. Um, so that's something that someone would want to check with before you are reaching out to an attorney. And they can find you can find a list of attorneys um, that are accredited on the VA's website. And so you can always just confirm that the accreditation the attorney purports to have do is have in fact valid. Memorize? I do not, unfortunately. Well, it's uh, somewhere in the mess of va.gov. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so at least that's a good start. So visit va.gov and start the journey. Yeah, there's so much information there. It, it just takes a long time to mm-hmm. process. Uh, think about it this way. How many of you go to the IRS office when you have tax questions? <laughs> I know there's somebody out there. There probably aren't very many. And if you work for the IRS uh, no offense. <laughs> so w- when they're interested in filing a claim, what it, what it should they bring to their meeting? So uh, primarily the your DD-214, if you have that. Uh, look, the short answer is th- nothing. It, it, you know, in the worst case scenario, if you don't have DD-214, you don't have medical treatment records, it's not a big deal because the duty in that first part of your application, you submit your application, and now VA has a duty to go out and obtain the necessary evidence that they need to make a decision on the veteran's case. So that includes their military records and includes their medical treatment records especially if they've been receiving treatment within the VA, they'll always easily obtain those, but you have to make a special note of any private treating um, treatment sources that you have outside the VA system. Otherwise, VA won't know to go get those records. But so worst case scenario, if the veteran has no supporting documentation, that is not a reason not to proceed. That can always be obtained on the back end. That sounds like a lot of work for somebody to do. It is a lot of work for somebody to do, initially for the VA. So (laughs) we can let them... They create a claims file, which includes all of all of the records that they gather. Yeah. So is that going to take them longer to process my claim mm-hmm. if I make them do all the work? Well, they are under a legal obligation, so they don't have an option. Now, the other alternative is if you do have those records handy, you can always provide them to the VA, but you want to make sure that you know it's a full set of records. So it's usually best to go ahead and let the VA obtain them, maybe work on obtaining a second copy so we can compare and verify um, on your own, but let VA do their, go through their process and just remember that the date of payment is based on the date of that application. So yes, it's taking a long time perhaps to gather that record um, to fulfill all of their evidentiary requirements, but at the end of the day, the time is ticking and hopefully once you get that award you're going to be paid back to day one Mm -hmm. is there a way for someone to like look over the work that the va has done just to make sure that they don't have to worry about getting denied if the va made a mistake for something that's a great question and so that's really what the appeals process is for Um, once you receive that initial decision like i said most veterans there's usually something in there to appeal In most cases, a veteran is claiming not just one condition, but multiple. And so for each of those multiple conditions, there could be multiple different decisions that are issued. So that's why I say typically a veteran doesn't receive a fully favorable decision the first
first time around. Um, so there's an appeal process there. And then that's when you really want to have a representative on your side so that we can be double checking exactly like you said, Christiana, all the steps that VA took, making sure that they met all of the steps that they are legally required to take. And where they didn't, we can point that out and make sure that the veteran is compensated accordingly. And it would be stressed for them to make sure that whoever they pick as a representative is properly accredited, much like you both are. Yep. Very important. Right. But they would start either at the VA Mm -hmm. or with Texas Veterans Commission or VFW or with any other number of accredited veteran service organizations. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know this is a lot of veteran talk. It's different from our usual uh, content here on Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt, but we're interviewing Brittany Lastician to help us understand what to expect in this process for service-connected disabilities, whether it's going in person to the VFW, having an application in your drinks or if you go online to va.gov and start your journey in finding out who you need to contact and what you should look for. Yeah, I forgot to say that. You could file your own claim. You can file online. Mm -hmm. Trying to file the the right forms. For the younger veterans that are coming into this generation, they're going to have a lot more access available mm-hmm. for them shouldn't they to get documents and information hopefully <laughs> well they can get started i'm not sure yep. whether it'll be better or not the va is is on a long journey to get there yes but they're working on getting all their documents scanned one question that has been frequently asked of me over the years is uh once i file my application i my back hurts mm-hmm. uh do i go to the VA doctor or do I just go to the private civilian doctor that I've been going to for years? You go wherever you're going to get the best treatment. And because like I said, as long as you're receiving some type of treatment, we're going to be able to use those medical records for you. The only time that it would be really important to go to a VA doctor is if VA has told you to. You know, so mm-hmm. sometimes during this process, um, especially if the veteran has not been receiving regular medical treatment, the VA will send a notice for the veteran to appear at an exam. And um, it could be at a VA medical center or it could be at a third party because they contract out to private physicians as well sometimes. Um, You... If you get a notice for that type of exam, you got to go. If you are a no-show, sometimes they can use that just in, in and of itself as a reason to just close out your claim and deny it for failure mm-hmm. to appear. So don't give them that reason. It's too easy. Just call them, if anything. Let them know you can't make it, and they'll reschedule. Um, but to answer your question, Todd, it doesn't matter whether or not they're receiving treatment from a, a private physician or the VA medical centers. But the VA has the right to call you in to make their own assessment. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, After the break, I just want to mention, I want to give a shout out to all of our clients out there that are currently in this process. Hang in there, right? Oh, yeah. Because it takes a while. Yes, it does. Yep. And and in fact, a lot of clients have to get to a board hearing before they really see um, the successful award that we're winning. And so we can talk about all the different levels of appeals. Okay. It's, it's like a staircase. Yes, it sort is. Of. <laughs> uh, there's different levels of appeal. And then uh, we can also talk about some of the uh, topics that people don't like to talk about, like injuries that you can't see, mm-hmm. mental health injuries want to talk about that when we come back too is that okay absolutely so we'll be right back after the short break here on talk law radio with your host todd marcourt you've heard him on talk law radio now work with his firm yourself Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. 
Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marcourt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we're back from our break still with Miss Brittany Elastician about veterans' service-connected disabilities. Yeah. So I mentioned before the break that we were going to talk about an uncomfortable subject. And for a lot of people, that's the question of mental health. Mm. This is uh, an injury that I have seen service members coming back home with, and they don't like to talk about it, and they don't all the time acknowledge that they have an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this something that could be a service-connected disability in which they could receive compensation? Absolutely. Uh, PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury, are... Hold on. We have to define (laughs) what those letters mean. Okay. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, can manifest in a variety of ways from affecting memory to um, an ability to just kind of stay organized in your thought patterns in your day-to-day. Um, it can it, it manifests in a number of ways, and I think a lot of people at this point are familiar with PTSD. Uh, the second one that I mentioned, TBI, traumatic brain injury, is one that we have uh, many, many instances of, unfortunately, in our veterans, and they absolutely receive service-connected disability compensation for either of those conditions. Unfortunately, sometimes they are difficult cases for the veteran, even and it, in some cases because of that lack of a physical manifestation. Sometimes they can control their symptoms relatively well and to their detriment because then the VA doesn't see the true impact that that veteran is feeling on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. If I have PTSD and it makes me feel better to go work out mm-hmm. and I feel better after I work out, I just work out every day, um, still I know that I have PTSD, am I going to be able to prove that I deserve compensation for that if I'm receiving treatment, I guess. So the important question will be whether or not you've gotten an official diagnosis from from a doctor. If there's a diagnosis there and there's some specific incident or it could be either an incident or an injury, it just depends um, in, on your specific situation. But if there's something specific that occurred in your military service that we can relate that back to, it's a service-connected disability and should be okay. compensated. So the, those service members should go see a doctor if they haven't already, um, both for two for reasons. Many reasons, yes. <laughs> so that they can receive treatment and, and feel better. Right. And then number two, so that they can get the compensation they deserve. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's say somebody is approved. Either they've got a hurt back or they've had a traumatic injury and they're receiving compensation. It's my understanding the VA will assign them a rating the, some type of rating system, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the, the VA rating table. Um, there's specific calculators out there for it because we can't look at this table and figure out where we fall sometimes. So if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, when you apply for VA disability compensation, they have a published table in the federal regulations um, and every specific condition that you claim. So in your example, you had a traumatic brain injury, I think, and a back injury and a knee injury. Mm-hmm. For each of those specific conditions, the VA will first look at whether or not it's service-connected, which we've discussed. And then, okay, once they establish, yes, it's service-connected, we acknowledge that, they're going to assign a rating anywhere from 10 to 100 percent for each specific condition. Now, you might think, okay, so maybe I get 30 percent for my TBI, 10 for my back, and 10 for my knees. I should be at 50 percent mm-hmm. <laughs> service-connected, right? You add them up, right? Oh, that's not the way it works. <laughs> What? <laughs> no. VA disability, the rating tables, um, it's, it's very complicated, but basically they stack the ratings and they round it and they figure out the closest true combined rating for each individual veteran. So they would say it's, maybe you're 40% disabled. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they just give you a little bit of money and not as much as somebody who is 100% disabled. Right. Yes. Okay. And if you don't like that rating, what if you think that you're more disabled, if mm-hmm. you're um, not able to work, right. then what would you do? So you we would look first at the rating tables because VA has it published re- with regard to the symptoms. You know, how severe are these symptoms? Okay, well, then it matches up to this rating on our table of either maybe 10 or 30 percent. Um, but if your symptoms continue to worsen, we check that against the rating table and see if, in fact, these worsened symptoms do in- qualify you for an increased rating. So you have to apply. 
um, for an increased rating from VA. Okay. And if they don't give it to you, they say, no, your rating is right Mm -hmm. where it should be, Mm -hmm. then that's like a denial, right? Sure. Yep. It's absolutely a denial. And you can appeal. You can appeal. You usually want to have representation for that appeal to make sure someone can really advocate for you and interpret your medical records properly for VA too. This is giving me a headache because it's a numbers game for health problems. Yes. Right. Very much so. Right. But if you need additional care and you're having trouble keeping a job or you're having trouble doing your work, then the government should compensate you for that. Is there a way that um, the benefits that you receive through the service-connected disability would be disqualified if there's any change in your health if you improve? That's a great question. So yes, that if you have improvement in a condition, that could be a basis for VA to actually reduce your rating. So when you are considering applying for an increased rating, you have to be careful because VA has the right to review your entire rating picture, right? Your overall ratings. So let's say um, we have a veteran who wants to apply for an increased rating for his back. It's gotten worse. But he also has the knee and traumatic brain injury service connections. They can review the back, say, okay, yes, we see the back has gotten worse. We're going to bump you from 10 to 30 for that. But it looks like your knees have gotten better, so we're going to go from 10 to 0 for your knees. So sometimes those changes are a wash, but sometimes it can inadvertently result in a lower payment to the veteran. Um, so it's just something that you have to carefully think through. Goodness. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, with medical advice yes. probably. Yep. Okay, so we were talking about appeals. Tell me more about the different levels. Hmm. So uh, just in 2018 – New regulations were passed, which completely revamped the appeals process for the VA. And it seems to be doing the job that VA set up for it, which was to streamline the process. Um, It wasn't uncommon to see veterans going through this process for um, five years uh, before they would get to the board hearing level. Um, And then once you're at the board, sometimes it can go back. So now what we have are three different levels. You go to the regional office, and then from there you'll get your initial decision. And you can either request to go straight to the board which is great in most circumstances. Or you say, "Mm, VA made a mistake. They don't need any more information. But with the information that they have, they came to the incorrect conclusion, and I want a higher-level review. So it's almost like asking for the supervisor, right? Mm -hmm. We're asking for the next person up to go ahead and re-review this case. We're not submitting any additional evidence. So that's a big difference between these two options for appeals. And the VA is unfairly asking the veteran in most of these cases, unless they have representation, to decide for themselves which right. avenue which is proper. Which one would I choose? Mm-hmm. So you can't submit new evidence if you're asking for a higher level review, but you can submit new evidence if you're going to the board. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm sure it doesn't say that as clearly on the paperwork they've received from VA. Uh, no, it's not very clear. And it's in about, I think, size five or six font. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the fine print. Yep. Yep. Have to be careful. Okay. So that's a lot of information about service-connected disability compensation. Uh, did we miss anything? Let's go back to the five things that we hope that everyone should know when they come to see us. Okay, so we talked about not letting VA win by denying you into submission. You always want to go ahead and appeal. Um, The next thing is that we want to be prepared to wait for a board hearing to get the desired result, and we've talked about that a little bit. Um, The next we've also touched on is making sure that you get your own medical treatment consistently. This avoids having to rely on the VA doctors for opinions that are supportive of your disability case, and it shows VA that the disability is bad enough to push you to see doctors for it. So it makes sense then that it interferes with your ability to work. Um, And then we also want to make sure people know that VA benefits are a long game. I think that that has been conveyed, you know, throughout the course of our conversation. But it really is. It's a long game and one that you'll probably have to play for the rest of your life, which we have also talked on, talked about because of the actions that you can take even once you have that service connection established. You might request an increase or you might receive a rating decrease. So it's something that you have to be prepared to just kind of stay on top of. Good. Thank you. Yep. And if you missed any of this information, if you're tuning in late, don't worry. We will be uploaded onto Apple Podcasts if you visit Talk Law Radio Podcasts or our website, talklawradio.com, and you'll find our updated episodes. Yes. And this is our segment where we talk about legacy. I always ask clients, uh, what do you hope that your beneficiaries will achieve 
by inheriting these things. For some people, they want to be remembered. For other people, they want to leave lessons, life lessons. Uh, For other people, they want to change their family tree. They want the family, even after they're gone, to do better than they did themselves and the next generation down. Those are really, really neat projects to work through. And you can even put conditions on your gifts and on your inheritance. Um, I knew a man one time who said that his beneficiaries uh, were not allowed to drink alcohol, smoke, and they were required to go to church. (laughs) Well, he amended that, and then uh, he said, well, you can drink beer. (laughs) So you can put those conditions and say, if you don't follow my conditions, then you're not going to get any more money. You're cut (laughs) off. Christiana, why don't you tell us a story about... uh, legacy that you remember? Well, one of the things, um, I moved out here and I met my boyfriend, Joseph, and I helped him with his grandma, Tony, in her final days when she was actually battling through dementia. So she wrote out her will to make sure that her house stayed in the family and that everybody was able to cooperate and receive the personal effects and real property divided. But when she was going through her dementia, she was just ready to get rid of everything. She wanted to get rid of her TV. She was trying to give me clothes, her jewelry, her bags. She was trying to get rid of a radio and get the church to pick up her other TV that she had laying around. And it's hard. It's hard to realize Mm -hmm. that when you're of sound mind and you have a vision and you have that legacy that you want to start with, but if your mind starts slipping in your final years, things change and your values change because you don't remember who you are. Well, you know what I realized is that somebody that's giving those things away, it's not really that sad for them. that They enjoy making the gifts. They want to see the joy mm-hmm. on their loved ones' faces when they receive that. And I've, I've seen some beneficiaries that are horrified <laughs> that grandmother or mother is giving away all of their things. No, you're never going to die, so you just keep all that stuff. <laughs> oh, goodness. And they think, honey, I'm going to pass away, and I want you to have these earrings, okay? And it makes them happy, so just let them be happy. Well, then you should visit our website and tune in next Saturday on Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. We'll be back then. Mm-hmm.